Now, if you can turn in your Bibles to John in chapter 18, John, John's Gospel in chapter 18, we'll read from verse 33 to verse 40 in a few moments. Let's pray before we read the Word of God. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we're reading of a solemn moment in your life and suffering. And I pray as we hear your words read, as we hear your voice, we pray for ears to hear and for the hearts that would receive your word. Would you please send the Holy Spirit to work these things into our lives, that in the light of your word we might trust you and live. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. So John 18 and verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and he called Jesus and said are you the king of the Jews and Jesus answered do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me Pilate answered am I a Jew your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me what have you done and Jesus answered my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate says to him, What is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. We, I'm taking a break from our studies in Exodus and to look at what Jesus said about his coming to cons as we consider the meaning of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord willing, we'll come back to Exodus in the new year. And I'll also pick up next week from Psalm 8. We looked at Psalm 2 last Lord's Day afternoon, then next Lord's Day morning we'll look at Psalm 8. But this is coming at the Christmas story a little differently, maybe a little obliquely. And there are a number of places in the Gospels where we see Jesus himself tell us the reason of his birth and of his coming. And this is, if you like, this, the title for this sermon is Christmas According to Jesus. And the passage that I, we have just read doesn't sound very Christmassy at all. Because John 18, 33 to 40 is the account of the trial before Pontius Pilate. And in case you're thinking, well, everyone else at this time of year is looking at the angel's annunciation to Joseph and then to Mary. And then the, the, the census, and I'm sure they're, in other churches they're talking about when Quirinus was the governor of Syria, where there was no room at the inn, and how the cattle with their great big adoring eyes are lowing, and the little Lord Jesus no crying he made. 
And then there are the shepherds. And then there's the wise men. And then Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer probably managed to sneak in somewhere as well. And the winter snow, which there probably wasn't any, and the sleigh bells ringing. And I've never understood how they can see three ships sailing by. And I certainly cannot even find anywhere where, it, where there's a little drummer boy. But all of these, those passages I haven't found in the Bible unless they're in Hezekiah, which I haven't read yet. But not to sound too much like the Grinch who stole Christmas. I even doubt that the Lord Jesus never cried. In fact, it is theologically vital for us that the infant Jesus expressed himself in the same way that all babies do when they are hungry. And I'm sure what the Lord Jesus let out, an urgent, dependent wail to cry for his mother's attention. Because like the rest of us, he truly and vitally is human. But put that to one side, we'll come back to that in a moment. So if you think that everyone else is thinking about their Christmas messages or about what the, the shepherds who kept their watch by night and then the angelic choir singing Gloria in excelsis. And then, you know, did the shepherd, what did the shepherds sing? But instead you have Ebenezer Scrooge in Pilate's courtroom. Jesus standing trial for his life at Christmas. But you might consider that at the climax of this trial in John 18, 37, Pilate will render his verdict and the momentum is racing toward the cross. But in John 18, verse 37, the Lord Jesus himself is thinking about Christmas. As he faced his death, the Lord Jesus Christ thought of his birth and why he came. Listen to John 18, verse 37. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful truth from the words of the Lord Jesus himself. We may prefer not to think about the sufferings and the crucifixion of Jesus. We may wish to only hear nice messages about the nativity at Christmas. But there is no sense of the nativity at all without the passion of Christ. And there's no way that we can understand Christmas without the cross. Because we cannot just stay at the manger. We have to follow Jesus into the courtroom. We have to follow Jesus into Calvary. So if at Christmas time, if all you want is the sermonic if there is such a word, equivalent of it is a wonderful life to fill you so that you feel warm and Christmassy and fluffy during the Advent season, then you'll be disappointed by what Jesus had to say. But if you want to penetrate into the mystery of why God became man in Jesus Christ, then there is no better one to listen to than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And to hear the Lord Jesus tell us why he was born and what he came to do. So I just want you to focus on that one verse, John 18, verse 37, and consider three thoughts from Jesus' words. That the Lord Jesus tells us what it is that first Christmas.
And then the Lord Jesus tells us why Christmas happened. And thirdly, he tells us why it matters so very, very, very much. What it is, why it happened, and why does it matter so very, very, very much. So if you like, what Christmas is, why Christmas happened, and why Christmas matters. So first of all, what is Christmas? What Christmas is? Well, the statement that draws our attention is verse 37, and it comes in the context of Jesus' trial as Pilate presses the Lord to explain what kind of king he is. And in reply, he tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Instead, Jesus was born that first Christmas to inaugurate a kingdom that is defined and characterised by the truth. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. So we learn what Christmas is. That is to say, in the opening clause of verse 37, Jesus tells us what was going on 33 years earlier in Bethlehem. At the risk of stating the obvious, he says, I was born. Now, it's easy just to let that go over our heads because it's a self-evident statement. But do not miss how he amplifies the point. Because not only was I born, but I came into the world. That he was born reminds us of the familiar details of the Christmas story. His mother Mary conceived, albeit miraculously, while a virgin, and the baby in her womb grew and developed just as we do. I want you to consider the reality of that. Forty weeks in the womb. And Jesus Christ was born in the same way other babies are born. Jesus had an umbilical cord. Jesus had to be fed and nursed. And Jesus cried. And there was a time when the Lord Jesus couldn't walk. When he was carried in, in, in his mother's arms or his father's arms. His brain developed. His ability to make sense of the world grew in a manner commensurate with his age. His parents taught, taught him to crawl, to stand, to take his first steps. Jesus would have fallen over. He would have bumped into things. He had to learn how to speak, how to write and how to read. He would have started with his mother's milk and moved on to baby food and to more solid food. He was born. Jesus is not God looking like a man. He really was a man. He is a man. Really, thoroughly, comprehensively, perfectly human. You know that they say, don't they, to err is human. That's the biggest statement, that's the most, you know, that's, that's the wrong statement. Because God, we are made in his image. And, you know, there was the fool, but we were made in his image. So he was born perfectly human. But his birth was not his beginning. The person of Jesus Christ existed before he became human. 
So that's why he says, I was born. And then he says, he has to say, I came into the world. It's not enough to say, I was born. For this purpose, I have come into the world. And John, who wrote the gospel, used that very phrase in his prologue to speak about his, Jesus's pre-existence. John 1, 1 to 11. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So the word, who is God, who made all things, in whom is light and life, is coming into the world. I came into the world, Jesus says to Pilate. So you see the claim that the Lord Jesus is making. As touching his humanity, his human nature, he had a beginning. He was conceived in the womb of his mother. He was born with ten fingers and ten toes and laid in a manger and cradled in his mother's arms. But as touching his deity, his divine nature, the God-man, as the word who was with God and who was God, as God the Son, his birth was not the beginning, he always was. There has never been a time when the Son was not. So his birth was his coming into the world in a new way, uniting human nature to his divine nature forever in one person. And I say forever in one person, because the dust of earth sits on the throne of heaven now. Isn't that, isn't that majestic? That Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect man, the dust of heaven sits on the throne, sorry, the dust of earth sits on the throne of heaven. No wonder the sky split in rapture as the angels sang their song. This was no ordinary birth. No wonder the shepherds worshipped him. No, no wonder the wise men brought gifts. No wonder the old man Simeon, when he took that baby in his arms, he said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. The one who was born was the one through whom, the one through whom all things were made. What happened at Christmas? The God-man came into the world. And the one who was born on Christmas Day is the one through whom all things were made. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Mary's child, nursing at her breast, was Mary's God. You know that? Mary's child was Mary's God, in whom she lived and moved and had a being. That's why we sing, God of gods, light of light, Lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb, very God, begotten, not created. O come, let us adore him. That's the only response. O come, let us adore him. One more thing, quickly, what Christmas is. You see, twice over, Jesus says, for this purpose. 
He repeats it, for this purpose I was born, for this purpose I came into the world. Not, not only is Christmas the birth of the God-man, but it was therefore necessarily of a purposeful birth, a birth according to plan. We're not to imagine that Jesus was born and then he, when he grew like the rest of us, he kind of figured out what he wanted to do with the rest of his life. He grew in his understanding of his mission. He learned from the scriptures. He had the benefit of direct revelation from God by the Holy Spirit to his human mind. So that his comprehension of what it was he was born to do grew and matured and deepened. But there was never any question what his purpose was. He did not put it together. He didn't invent it. He didn't set his own path or chart his course. He was born and came into the world for a purpose. His birth was according to plan. He is the long-promised Messiah. And we read of his, the first promise of his coming in Genesis 3. He is the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. And then he's the seed of David who would reign on his father's throne forever. He is the seed of Abraham in whom all the nations on earth would be blessed. He is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. He is the prophet like Moses. He is the wonderful counsellor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And he is the Root of Jesse. And he is the one that the Father sent forth in the fullness of time, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. The Lord Jesus did not become Messiah as he matured and began to display aptitude. This isn't a job he applied for. This is what he was born to be and born to do. All of the ages were waiting for him. All of Israel's hope was focused on him. And the need of the lost in every age are met only in him. And that means that your need and my need is met only in him. So Jesus tells us what Christmas is. What is it? It's the advent of the God-man. Truly human, truly God, two natures in one person forever, long promised, eagerly awaited, and finally come. But secondly, why Christmas happened. Jesus tells us why it happened. Verse 37 is our verse. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Why did Jesus come? Why did Christmas happen? It happened he was born that he might bear witness to the truth. Two things to notice very quickly. There is the witness language that Jesus uses. I came to bear witness. It's striking that he should use legal language in his trial before Pilate. And Jesus is a witness here, but he's not speaking in his own defence. Jesus stands before Pilate as a witness for the prosecution in God's case, in God's lawsuit against all who have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And Christmas happened so that sin and error 
and spiritual deception that blinds the eyes of the unbelieving might be challenged, unmasked and exposed. And Christmas happened so that no one can stand before God and say, there is no way that we could have known better. We can never say to him, you did not pursue us. You never reach out to us. You left us in the dark, groping for answers on our own. He came himself to bear witness to the truth. That is why he was born. That is why he came into the world. And there is no excuse for your rejection of Jesus. There is no defence on the final day, on the great tribunal of God for the way that you've lived, if you resist his offer of mercy. He was born to bear witness. And given that, the other thing we need to unpack is what Jesus means by the truth. He came to bear witness to the truth. He means far more than he came to set the record straight in contrast to our error. He means more than he came to give us facts about God, which otherwise we would not have had access. He did that to be sure. But in John's Gospel particularly, when Jesus talks about the truth, he has something far more expansive in mind than just correct notions and accurate conclusions. John says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Or on what Jesus said about himself. I'm the bread of life. As bread sustains physical life, so Christ offers and sustains spiritual life. I am the light of the world to a world that is lost in darkness. The Lord Jesus offers himself as a guide. I am the door for the sheep. He protects his followers as shepherds protect their, sh their sheep, their flocks from predators. I am the resurrection and the life. My friend, death is not the last word for those in Christ. I am the good shepherd. He cares and watches over those who are his. And I am the way, the truth and the life. He is the source of all truth and knowledge about God. And I am the true vine. In Christ, we enable his life to flow in us and through us. That we cannot help but bear fruit that will honour the Father. What does that mean? He is the real thing. He is the ultimate reality. He is the final answer for what our hearts are seeking. Jesus in his person is the revelation of God to a sin-darkened world. And in Jesus, truth with a T, capital T, stepped onto the scene of history into a world of confusion, ignorance and error. He is the truth. But that has enormous implications. You do not get it yet. You do not understand why that first Christmas happened. If all you've got are historical facts about a birth of a baby two millennia ago. You need the facts. But you need more than that. The first Christmas happened so that the truth might step onto, into the scene of human history. And we can only grasp its meaning, his testimony, when we begin to know him personally for ourselves. And that brings me to the last thing I want us to see. So first of all, what Christmas is. What is Christmas? It's the birth of the Son of Mary, the long-promised Messiah, and the coming into the world of the Lord of glory himself. 
in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then why did Christmas happen? It happened that a testimony might be made, an irrefutable testimony, in person, as it were, by the truth himself, to the truth. That God has come amongst us and taken flesh and dwelt amongst us to reveal God to us, to make him known and to call us to himself. Not to just embrace information about him, but to enter into fellowship with him. With all of that in place, why does Christmas matter so very, very, very much? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate, for his part, is entirely unimpressed with Jesus' words. He is dismissive and tragically unbelieving. They're not the words of an earnest seeker who's found the truth at last. He's not pleading for truth. If he had been, he would have received it from the person who is truth in person, standing before him. No, these are the words of a cynic who doesn't believe in truth. He believes in political expediency. He believes in power and influence. He cares nothing for truth. But I want you to see in Jesus' words, because I think John 18 is a wonderful chapter, and it gives us the choice to go. Because you've got Jesus' words and you've got Pilate's response. You have two ways to go. There is no third way in Christianity. There is Jesus' words and Pilate's response. And during this Advent season, we have to face honestly the choice that they present to us. The words of Jesus and the response of Pilate. On the one hand, we have a beautiful invitation. All who are of the truth, listen to my voice. And on the other hand, we have the contempt of someone who thinks they have everything. Power, influence, money and fame. The most trendy thing to be is an influencer. Is to be an influencer. There are people who make buckles of money by being an influencer. But what, what, what would it gain your you at all if you gain the whole world but suffer the loss of your soul what need does an influencer have of the truth but as you read through John's account it's not Jesus who's on trial it's Pilate Jesus isn't the one on trial it is Pilate and in that courtroom Pilate is exposed as guilty if you survey your life this year 2022 a full year it's entirely possible that you might feel really satisfied with what you've got i have a good home i have a lovely house i have a job i have money in the bank i have food on the table i have clothes on my back i'm loved i'm respected i'm valued what need do i have of jesus and like Pilate, you might dismiss the one who was born to wear, bear witness to the truth. And you'll do everything but listen to him. Jesus says, 
All who are of the truth, listen to my voice. And that word listen doesn't mean audibly with your ears. It means to listen and understand and listen and believe and embrace what you hear. The one who is the truth, the real one, the one who is the answer that our hearts are hardwired to seek, this one invites us to turn from the lie of our independence and our pretended self-sufficiency and to turn instead to him, to hear his voice in the word of the gospel. And when we do that, we become people of the truth. Not truthful people per se, but people of the truth. True ones, we're joined to the one who is the truth. His kingdom is the kingdom of truth and all of his citizens embrace him, the one who is the truth. Pilate, for all his power, for all his posi position, he knows nothing of the truth. He's living in darkness and spiritual blindness. But Christmas happened. Christ has come into the world. He was born for this purpose, to bear witness to the truth. And all who are of the truth listen to his voice. The truth is, we are guilty sinners in the courtroom of God's judgment. But the truth for those who have found refuge in the Lord Jesus is that Christ's righteousness, which alone can bear the sight of God, because it alone is perfect, must appear in court on our behalf and stand surety for our judgment. John Calvin said that. And received from God, this righteousness is brought to us and imputed to us just as if it were ours. And it's like, it is really like, that we stand before the bar of God's judgment and we're found guilty. And then Jesus takes our place. That is the gospel. And all who are of truth listen to his voice. Can you hear his voice? Are you listening? Because he wants to shatter the, dark, he wants to shatter the darkness of ignorance and blindness and the illusion of your independence and self-sufficiency. We're in Exodus, aren't we, at the moment, and I'm loving it, but I want to remind you that God saw, he heard, he remembered, and he knew. And remember we said that for God to remember is to act, and to forget is to refuse to respond. And if you're a Christian, you have to understand what God remembers and what he forgets. He remembers his promises. He remembers his promises, but he forgets your sin. And we conceive sometimes of a God who always remembers our sin. Then he's making a list, remember, and he checks it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. But if your God is no better, better than Santa, you're of all people most to be pitied because there is a far better God and he came in the person of the Lord Jesus to redeem us. Because otherwise it's hollow and empty and he wants to bring the truth into your hearts. Listen to his voice and you can be sure that he hears and sees and he knows because of the cross. And he can save you from your sin and he can strengthen you in your sorrow. And one day he's going to come again to deliver us forever 
from our suffering. God has kept his covenant and he sent the perfect saviour. And he's proven that he's faithful to his promises. So we cry out to him. We look to the cross and we see the sufficient saviour whom God provided. So do you see why Christmas matters so very much? It's not about we enjoy things, but it's not really about family or presents or food. Or nostalgia, as lovely as those things are. But Christmas matters because of the birth of Christ. The truth has come to shine in the darkness to give us the light of life. So I would plead with you to listen to his voice. I would plead with you to come to Jesus in repentance and faith and entrust yourself entirely to him. And until you do, you walk in the darkness. But if you come to him, his promise, his covenant, is that he will give you the light of life. And that is the greatest of gifts at Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just give thanks to you for the coming into the world of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of the God-man. I thank you that he lived the perfect life. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we deserve to die. That for all those who come to him in repentance and faith, we're clothed in his righteousness and will be with him forever. We just thank you for the wonder of the gospel which causes our hearts to sing. I pray that we would turn our eyes to Jesus in his precious name. Amen.